Why do we believe that Jesus was and is God? Did Jesus ever claim to be God? We're going to talk about these things and more today on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, July the 2nd, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. Normally, on the first and second Wednesdays of every month, we would be doing a question and answers uh, lesson. However, this month, we are going to be continuing with our study in the essentials, and what I'm going to be trying to do, if you guys caught Monday's, uh, Monday's Romans podcast, is do the question and answers this Saturday and next Saturday. So be looking for that lesson, for the question and answer lesson, for this week on Saturday instead of today. So anyway, I hope you guys are having a fantastic week and that you guys are keeping cool. I know most parts of the country, it's pretty hot. It's pretty hot here, but uh, actually yesterday it was really nice. We had a high of like 82 degrees here yesterday and man, I, I could I could live with it always being that hot uh, or that cool, I guess, depending on your perspective. Just a couple quick announcements. First of all, uh, I, I want to just give a praise announcement for the fact that Brian and Sally made it to Arkansas, and they, uh, they're actually moving into an apartment today, I believe. Uh, they were going to be staying in a hotel and doing some apartment shopping for a couple days, and, uh, you know, of course, we're planning this church with Brian and Sally, and they got there first. They sold their house first and got there first, and our house is still for sale. Uh, we've dropped our price, we've added a carpet allowance, and we're just waiting for somebody to walk into our house and say, hey, this is the place for me. So hopefully, uh, in God's timing, uh, it's going to happen soon. So if you guys could just keep me in prayer for that, I have to admit that I have gotten a little bit frustrated with this whole process of selling our house, especially you know after we've dropped the price and added a carpet allowance and all that stuff. But I know that God has a plan, and I know that this is all in His timing, and I'm just trusting in that. So, anyway, we do appreciate your prayers uh, about our church plant that's going to be happening in Arkansas. We're hoping to uh, actually launch sometime the first uh, couple months of next year. So, that's what we're hoping for. So, if you guys would just keep us in prayer, we sure would appreciate that. But, anyway, let's go ahead and open today with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for the chance to learn more about you and to learn more about why we believe what we believe. So I just pray, Lord, that you'll send your Holy Spirit to instruct us today, to lead us into truth, and that it'll make an impact in our faith as we get to know you better, because we want to love you more every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our previous lessons on the essentials, we've covered the fact that there's only one God, and that God is three persons who are of one nature, one substance, and one essence. And, of course, if you haven't listened to those lessons, definitely, definitely go back and listen to those. Uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, this study that we're doing, this uh, series that we're doing, is based on a book called Conviction Without Compromise, which is written by Dr. Norman Geisler and Dr. Ron Rhodes, both of whom have been teachers of mine uh, that I've personally learned under. And this is a book that covers the essential doctrines of Christianity. So the first two that we covered, uh, again, were the fact that there is only one God and that God is three persons who are one nature, 
one substance, one essence, but three persons. But anyway, these three persons are referred to as either the Trinity or the Godhead, and we recognize them as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this leads us naturally to today's lesson, which focuses on the second person of the Trinity, and that is, of course, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, we recognize Jesus Christ as being the Son of God, but the question I want to zero in on today is this. Do we know why? Do we know why we believe that Jesus is God? One of the most common objections to Christianity by, by various groups. I mean, you can, you can take a handful of groups, and they all have the same objections, such as uh, Muslims or Orthodox Jews. Uh, one of their objections is the fact that the Bible never records Jesus claiming to be God. That's what they say. And, you know, as we read through Scripture, it's true that we never find Jesus saying something like, well, I'm God, here I am, I am God. Or, you know, some people make the argument that Jesus uh, only made claims to being God in the book of John, and they'll say, well, the book of John was written late, and uh, so therefore it's less accurate. In other words, what they're claiming is that Jesus never really claimed to be God, but that this was something that either John fabricated for his gospel narrative, or they'll say that the parts of John's narrative in which Jesus claims to be God were added to the text somewhere between the 2nd and 4th centuries, you know, hundreds of years later. So the question is, did Jesus claim to be God? And if so, was it only in John's gospel narrative, or can we find it anywhere else in scripture as well? In fact, we find evidence for Jesus being and claiming to be the incarnate God, that is, God in the flesh, uh, in other gospel narratives as well, as in all of the gospel narratives as well. But we also find reasons to believe that he must have been God in the epistles of the New Testament, as well as various passages found in the Old Testament. In other words, just to, to break this all down, the Bible is filled from the front cover to the back cover with reasons to recognize Jesus as being fully God. Well, let's start by looking at some of the passages from the Old Testament, which indicate that the Messiah, uh, that is the promised Savior of Israel, would be none other than God himself. Now, first of all, as we've covered previously in uh, in other lessons in reference to the denial of Christ's identity as God by the Jehovah's Witnesses, they're one group that denies that Jesus was God, uh, one of the names of the coming Messiah that we find in the Old Testament was Mighty God. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read, A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now notice that Mighty God was the second name that he was given there. So in the following chapter, we read in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21, quote, A remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. And this is one place where it's made abundantly clear that the Messiah would be none other than God himself, incarnate or in the flesh. Okay, and then in Daniel chapter 7, verse 22, we read, The Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Highest One. Now, this is a reference to the Messiah casting judgment sometime in the distant future. But the Messiah 
is referred to here as the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days, of course, is a term which, if you just turn a few verses back in the exact same chapter, uh, it refers to God. Back in verse 13, we read, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Obviously, then, the Messiah is none other than the Ancient of Days in verse 22, and it's referring to God back in verse 13. So the Messiah would be the Ancient of Days. And then going back to the book of Isaiah, you know, it foretells of how the coming Messiah would be both a servant and a savior. In Isaiah chapter 19, verse 20, for example, we read that he, that is God, will send them a savior and a champion, and he will save them. Well, that's the theme that we find throughout the book of Isaiah. However, we also find God revealing something else in Isaiah, which indicates that the Messiah would be the incarnate God, that is, God in the flesh. In Isaiah forty-three eleven, we read, I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. Well, the the Messiah is going to be a Savior, and here is God saying that there's no Savior besides me. Then in chapter 45, verse 21 of Isaiah, God says, There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. So it's obvious that the Savior, the Messiah, would be none other than God incarnate. Now, it's worth noting that this is actually consistent with what other prophets wrote as well. For example, we read in the book of Hosea, chapter 13, verse 4, Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. So the Old Testament makes it clear that there is no Savior other than than God. And yet Isaiah tells us that the coming Messiah was going to be a savior, so obviously the Messiah is God. Now, these are all great passages to use when witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses, actually. Uh, by the way, the New World Translation, which is the, well, to, to put it nicely, it's a, a very poorly translated version that the Jehovah's Witnesses use. Um, you know, they translate Isaiah chapter 19, verse 20, pretty closely to the translation of the NASB. The New World Translation says, he will send them a savior, even a grand one, who will actually deliver them. So clearly, if God is sending a savior, and if God claims that he is the only savior, and that there is none other besides him than the savior that he sends, which would be Jesus, and uh, and the Jehovah's Witnesses recognize that, but obviously the Savior that he sends would be God. So anyway, we're going to come back to the, all of this in, in just a few minutes to some of the, the views with the Jehovah's Witnesses. So, okay, it's pretty clear that the Messiah was going to be none other than God incarnate. In fact, you know, it's, it's pretty indisputable. But how do we know that that's who Jesus was or is? Well, Let's take what we know from the Old Testament, compare it to the New Testament, and see if we can come up with a solid answer for that question. Because, to be honest with you, being able to answer this question is absolutely vital to our faith. Uh, You know, going back to Isaiah for just a moment here, we read in uh, chapter 42, verse 8, God says, I am Jehovah, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. God will not give his glory to another. He says it again in chapter 48, verse 11 of Isaiah. He says, I will not give my glory unto another. But then 
we read in John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus is praying and he says, And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Well, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that he had glory together with God. But how could that be if God doesn't share his glory or give it to another? Well, the only way that that would logically work would be for Jesus to actually be God. And so when Jesus prayed this, he was claiming to be none other than God himself. So again, going back to Isaiah, and we're actually, you know, we're referencing Isaiah quite a bit here because Isaiah had the most to say regarding the coming of the Messiah um, out of all the prophets and out of any of the Old Testament books. A lot of it is found in Isaiah. So anyway, going back to Isaiah, we read in uh, chapter 44, verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last and there is no God beside me. Well, note that God refers to himself here as the first and the last. And then let's compare that with Revelation chapter 1 verse 17 where John writes, When I saw him, that is Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man and he placed his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. So again then, Jesus is claiming to be one with the God who spoke to and through the prophet Isaiah. He's claiming to be that God. He's claiming to be the first and last. So anyway, maybe the strongest claim of Jesus, uh, you know, um, asserting himself to be God incarnate was found in John's writings in John chapter 8 verse 58, where Jesus says to the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. Well, what does that mean? The words I am referred to the name that God referred to himself as when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus. Now, when we go and look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we find the phrase ego eimi at the burning bush. That's what God refers to himself as, ego eimi, and that means uh, I am. And so when Jesus says, prin Abraham, uh, genesthai ego eimi, which is, of course, before Abraham was, I am, he's referring to himself by the same name that God referred to himself by at the burning bush. Now, in our reading of the text, we may miss exactly what Jesus was trying to say here when he said that, but the Jews certainly didn't because they responded to Jesus' words by picking up stones. Why did they do that? Well, because stoning was the punishment for blasphemy, and claiming to be God was blasphemy. So he was about to be stoned to death there because they recognized that he was claiming to be God. But this wasn't the only time that Jesus had used the words ego eimi in reference to himself. As we noted at the beginning of today's lesson, some people assert that Jesus only claimed to be God in the gospel of John. But, you know, if we turn to Mark chapter 14, verse 61, we find that Jesus is being asked by the Jews, are you the Christ or, or Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And what does Jesus say in response? In the next verse, he says, ego eimi, I am. And someone might say, well, you know, is it really so unusual for someone to say, I am? I mean, how can we take this as a claim? to Jesus being God. And like the verse in John, we might be prone to, to miss or overlook the significance because the words I am 
seem like such you know normal everyday conversational words but note that the priest in the verse did not miss the significance of those words and we know that because in the following verses the priest tears his clothes and accuses jesus of blasphemy again it was blasphemy to claim to be god and he recognized that jesus was claiming to be god here so obviously he understood what jesus was saying with those words Now, going back to Isaiah, once again, we read in uh, chapter 43, verse 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Now, only God has the power to forgive sins, obviously. That's what this verse is saying, and that's something that we find throughout the Old Testament, that only God can forgive sins. But what does Jesus say to the paralytic in Mark chapter 2, verse 5? He says, Son, your sins... Are forgiven. Now, to this, the scribes who were standing nearby and who knew word for word what Isaiah said, they responded by thinking to themselves, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, they knew what Jesus was claiming by saying that this man's sins were forgiven. He was claiming to be God, because only God has the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus responds to them by giving them kind of a a double whammy. First, he says to the scribes, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? So here, you know, Jesus claims to know their thoughts, which only God would be capable of doing and knowing. And then he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. So here in this situation, you know, and this is completely away from the book of John. This is uh, from the book of, of Mark. Here Jesus is clearly claiming to be God and to have the authority of God. Jesus also claimed to be God by accepting worship. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was an angel, that he was created. But what happened in, uh, in the Bible? What happened when people try to worship anyone other than God. In Acts chapter 14, verse 15, uh, Paul and Barnabas rebuke the men who tried to worship them uh, because these men thought that they were Zeus and Hermes. In, uh, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9, John falls at the feet of an angel uh, to worship, and he's rebuked for his actions as well. Why? Well, because the Old Testament prohibits the worship of anyone or anything other than God himself. But... But this is the key part. Jesus allowed people to worship him. He never rebuked anybody for worshiping him. You know, the healed leper from Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, for example, he freely worshiped Jesus without Jesus rebuking him for, for doing so. Uh, same thing with the group of Canaanite women in Matthew chapter 15, verse 25. And same thing with the garrison man who was possessed by demons in Mark chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, these people all worshiped Jesus, and Jesus allowed all of them to do so. So by allowing people to worship him and not rebuking them, he was claiming to be God. And Jesus also claimed to have the same authority that only God would have. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19, which you guys should all recognize, uh, you know, because Jesus is giving the, the Great Commission. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, to whom does all authority belong? It belongs to God. Thus, Jesus was clearly claiming to be God when he gave the Great Commission. 
Now, we're running a little bit short on time here, but if you go ahead and pick up a copy of Conviction Without Compromise, it's still our number one book on uh, BibleStudyPodcast.org. You know, you can go to, to our website, and over on the right-hand side, you'll see Recommended Reading. And if you click on that, you can order the book right through our website. And I would strongly recommend picking up this book. But uh, if you pick this book up, you'll find a section in, in this chapter in which the primary objections to Christ's deity are addressed. If, you know, all these objections about, you know, whether Jesus was God or, or wasn't God, they address all of these in the book. So definitely, if you're interested in that, pick this book up. It has a great section on that. And if you're not familiar with these objections, or if you're not sure how to answer them, man, I, I just, I can't encourage you strongly enough to read through this chapter and see what Dr. Uh, Geisler and Dr. Rhodes have to say about these objections, and to see how they respond. But anyway, you know, in just about every cult in existence, uh, you find a denial of this fundamental doctrine of Christianity. As we've mentioned, you know, several times in the lessons that uh, that have come before this one and in this lesson as well, the Jehovah's Witnesses explicitly and adamantly deny that Jesus was God. Rather, they typically insist that Jesus was the created archangel Michael rather than the uncreated creator. According to their own literature, the Jehovah's Witnesses assert that, quote, the evidence indicates that the Son of God was known as Michael before he came to earth. So, you know, that that's one, one group that uh, just blatantly denies that Jesus was God. As with the other fundamental doctrines we've covered thus far, you know, the Mormons are another group which deny the deity of Christ as well. They teach that Jesus was created by God and was consequently born by one of God's many unnamed uh, spirit wives in heaven. So according to their own literature, the Mormons teach that Jesus, quote, by obedience and devotion to the truth, attained that pinnacle of intelligence which ranked him as a god. That is, as a god. Well, Jesus was not and is not just a god. He was and is the god. He is the second person in the Trinity, and the Trinity is the only god. So this is another group which blatantly denies the oneness of Christ with the Father. And then, obviously, the New Age and the occult also deny this fundamental doctrine of Jesus' deity. Uh, if you read or, or listen to psychics on TV, you know, a lot of them will teach that, uh, you know, they were told by their spirit guides that Jesus was only a good man or a good teacher. And Oprah Winfrey denies that Jesus is the only way to the Father, but believes that Jesus is just a way to God and if you look at her teachings and the books that she recommends and uh, some of the things that she's involved in, you'll agree with me uh, when I say that she is one of the most powerful allies that Satan has ever had in the history of mankind. You know, we hold that Jesus is not only the only way to the Father, but that Jesus was fully God. Fully God and fully man. It's a heresy to assert that he only had a divine nature. He also had a fully human nature, and that's actually what we're going to cover next week when we continue our study on the essentials, in which we discuss the doctrines which define Christianity. So, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope that this has been uh, something that helps you guys and, and gives you guys something to think about and something to talk about with your friends who don't really maybe understand what you believe or why you believe what you believe. And if you were never sure why you believe what you believe, I hope that this is helping. So anyway, if you guys have any questions, of course, you can always email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. 
So anyway, God bless you guys. Hopefully I'll get that question and answer podcast up on Saturday. Uh, I've got a ton of work to do for, for uh, my summer classes, but I'm going to try to squeeze that question and answer lesson in because I, I do like Just doing the question and answers. So anyway, I will see you guys next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep going closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org, a para-ministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a non-profit, listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org org and click on support on the right hand side you can make a tax deductible donation from there by doing so you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who just like yourself desire to find answers and meaning in scripture we thank you for listening today and we pray that the lord blesses you and draws you closer to him keep growing closer to jesus